This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brutal vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Don't begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked John, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers asked him, and and we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threat or accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary, and the chaff he'll burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus, not John. Amen. If you're the kind of person who comes to church for answers, this ain't going to be your day. Let's make sure we understand the context. Zechariah is a priest. He's married to a woman named Elizabeth. They have no children. They have never had any children. They're not likely to have any children. As Scripture says, quote, they were well along in years. And one day, Zechariah is in the temple in Jerusalem. It's his turn to light the incense in the temple. And an angel appears to him amidst all of the incense, identifies himself by name, Gabriel, and tells Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are going to have a child, a son, and this child is going to go before the Lord, and you will call him John. Zechariah's response is less than enthusiastic. Uh, You see how old we are, right? 
Gabriel takes offense and says, because you don't believe me, Zechariah, when you leave this temple today, you will not speak another word. And that's what happens. All of it happens. Zechariah goes mute. Elizabeth gets pregnant. Some of you who may have had a miscarriage understand this part. Scripture says she stayed in seclusion for the first five months telling no one. At some point, she goes to live with her cousin Mary. We'll cover that next week. You know that story. And then the miracle baby is born. And when they take the baby to the temple, as the law prescribed, eight days after he's born, to thank God, to have him circumcised, and to name him, Zechariah has not yet spoken a word and cannot speak, which is a bit of a problem because in the temple, women are not allowed to speak, and there's no one there to name the child. So the priest, <laughs> a male, says, well, you know, why don't we just name him after his father? his father. He winks at him. Good family name, Zechariah. We'll call him little Zach. And at that point, Elizabeth shouts assertively, you will not. He is to be called John. And the priest just, just shakes his head. There's no one in your family named John. Zechariah grabs some kind of tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, follows the lead of his wife. And he writes, his name is John. And at that moment, Zechariah's tongue is loosed. And he begins not just to speak, but to sing. We sang a version of it last week in worship. We now call it the Benedictus. He gives thanks to God in front of the whole assembly. He praises God in the temple for keeping all of God's promises to all people all the time. And then in the middle of that public song, he goes from church to lullaby in what might be the most tender moment in all of Scripture. Gazing at his son, he sings, You, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord God to prepare the way. Now, that's great stuff. That is, that is a great story for two weeks before Christmas. But that's not our reading today. <laughs> that was 30 years ago. Today's reading is 30 years after the birth of John and Jesus, 30 years after the star, the manger, the magi, the shepherds, 30 years later when no one even knows who Jesus is, much less he's the reason for some season. 30 years after the first Christmas, John is standing out in the wilderness of Judea, hair standing on end, eyes bulging out, and at the top of his lungs doing what he was born to do, calls all of creation to get ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. And if you didn't have any during the reading, let me help you. That's when the questions really start. Here's the first one. Why does the Messiah, why does the Son of God need an opening act? The prophets had been predicting it for centuries. John doesn't do any miracles. He doesn't do any healings. He doesn't do anything supernatural. He's just... One more prophet in a long line of prophets. And what does it even mean to get ready? John is a voice crying in the wilderness. He's out there on the River Jordan. People are going out there to be baptized. And this is what he's crying. Admit you've screwed things up. 
Admit you've messed up this world. Admit it. And vow to change. Get out here in this water and seal the deal in a ritual bath, a washing, Greek word baptismo, repent and be baptized. Now we do that. We do that in the church. Lots of religions do that. Wash in the Ganges River. Wash your feet before going into the mosque or the synagogue. It's healthy every New Year's Eve to take stock and change. In fact, in the church, we do it every time we gather around the Word and the sacraments. We do it every week. We did it at the beginning of this worship. Confess, remember our baptism. But normally, when people show up to do that, we're glad they're here. We're happy. We welcome. We try to practice hospitality. Invite them to come back. Hope every one of you feels welcomed every time you're here. But did you hear how John responds? If you are a regular worshiper at Lord of Life Church, you cannot imagine us saying anything like this. You brood of vipers, you pile of snakes in the grass, you filthy vermin. Wow. And then there's this whole winnowing fork thing, the whole wrath to come thing, the fire and brimstone, gathering the wheat and burning the chaff. Is that allegory or metaphor or literal? Is that rhetorical license or is that prophetic oracle? Is it threat or is it invitation? Is it good news or is it bad news? And how you answer that question is going to make a big difference. Is it God's goal, God's aim, God's desire to gather all the wheat that God has ever sown and to burn and punish the chaff? The only reason ancient farmers separated wheat from chaff was because it was a fire hazard to store it all together. One spark, your whole harvest would be lost. Farmers, farmers grow wheat. They don't grow chaff. That just happens to happen. They gather wheat. They save the wheat. Everything farmers do is about the wheat. Chaff is just just something to be recycled. And as far as we know, there's not a single farmer ever who's been able to turn chaff into wheat by threatening to burn it. But then there's John. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Is that eternal wrath? Or is that the wrath you've created back in your neighborhood in this world? He's telling them repentance and baptism are not a get-clean-quick scheme or a get-out-of-the-furnace deal. Water's not going to cut it by itself. Say a few prayers, listen to a few sermons down by the riverside, be dunked and redunked. That is not enough to prepare the way of the Lord. Bear fruits worthy of repentance, John says. Don't even begin to say to yourself, we're sons and daughters of Abraham. God will raise up stones to make more children of Abraham. And right now, right now, the axe is at the tree, so don't be playing around. The kingdom of God is near The Lord is near. Listen, God is coming. And it don't matter who you are or what you think or what you believe or how many times you get dunked in how much water, it matters what you do. 
It's not clear what the Sadducees and the Pharisees do with that at that moment. We know what they will do three years from now. It's not clear what the politicians do with it at that moment. It's not clear what the power mongers and the privileged elite do with that information. But I will say that their silence is deafening, as is the church's silence in the face of injustice and persecution and suffering. But three groups of people do respond Each one of them asked Jesus, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? It's the right question. Here's a heresy of the modern church. The ridiculous idea that the only thing that matters to God is what you believe. How do you think John the Baptist would have responded to this? But I accepted Jesus into my heart. I believe all the right things. I'm confirmed. And John, John tells them. To the first group, to the crowds, John says, whoever has two coats, let me stop there and say, I've got a closet in my hallway that has about a dozen jackets and coats. And I believe in Jesus. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food, closets worth of food, must share with anyone who has none. The world doesn't have a food problem or housing problem or refugee problem. We have plenty of everything. We have a distribution problem. To the second group, tax collectors coming to be baptized. Tax collectors. John says, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. It doesn't tell them to stop collecting taxes or making money. That's just the system. That's the world they live in. But it does tell them to stop cheating people. Make your money honestly. And the third group, it's the only place in Scripture it happens, other than a centurion after Jesus is crucified, soldiers in a good light, seen in a good way, a positive way. It's like they're out of place. Roman soldiers are actually in the part of the good guys. What are they doing out there? Are are they AWOL? Did they just happen to be like keeping the peace and then saw the light? And did they actually lay down their weapons to go wade in the water with John the Baptist? We have no idea why they are there, but there they are. And Luke finds it significant enough to tell us and they too asked John and us, what should we do? Don't extort from anyone by power or might. Be satisfied. Don't hoard, share, he says to the crowds. Don't cheat, he says to the tax collectors. Don't extort by power, he says to the soldiers. All of those things have to do with possessions. All of those things deal with justice. All of them deal with the way we are to treat one another. None of them are allegory or metaphor, and you don't have to believe anything about God to do any of them. Third Sunday of Advent, John's not the Christ. 
John's not the Messiah. He's not the one who will come to redeem the world. He is not the gracious judge of all things. That's Jesus. That's the long-awaited one who is even now coming into the world. And John is not even worthy to tie the Messiah's shoes. And he has known that since before he was even born. He's just the messenger. And this is John's message. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world right now. The Lord is near. And the way to be ready, according to the miracle baby of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and it might sound like bad news to some, but Luke finishes this lesson by saying it's good news to the people. The way to be ready is to repent, to be baptized, and then do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Amen.